With that said, 1 Samuel chapter 26, you should be there. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Now the Sephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hidden in the hills of Hakalah, opposite Jeshimon? And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Sif, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Sif. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Sheshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. And so, Father, we come tonight, and once again, as we're looking at the life and times of David, we can learn so much. And, and we know this is history. We know that this really happened. But, Father, as we make application, we see how you are faithful to us and how you desire for us to, to come to you to be our refuge and to be our stronghold and to be the one that's going to be the protector of our lives. And, Father, we do pray that uh, you would show us these things and, and lessons and for us that are for today. And so, Father, may we have cell phones turned down or off. May we be still in our seats. May we have our ears that are um, open to you and, and being spiritually discerning tonight. May the Holy Spirit, may he teach us uh, all things and all truth as we go through this text. And we're again thankful for this time. And Lord, that we would feed upon the word of God tonight and, and knowing that as we do, we become strong and we become wise. And Lord, uh, we just come to know you more. So bless this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here are the Sephites betraying David once again. And David, at this time, of course, is being pursued by Saul. Saul is still on the throne. He's the king of Israel. He has a lot of recruits and, and at his you know, beck and call because he's the king. He has 3,000 soldiers of Israel that are coming along with him to pursue David in that wilderness of Sif. Now, the wilderness of Sif is down in that area of the Dead Sea. It's a very dry, very hot, barren uh, place. It is a place that's very rocky, very mountainous, very little vegetation that is in that area. So it would be a very difficult place to travel. David has 600 men that are with him. Saul has 3,000 men. Saul's continuing his relentless pursuit of David. We saw that Saul began to pursue David when he, Saul, became very bitter and jealous and envious of David. And it's interesting, looking at the life of David, David here, as we saw in this book, chapter 16, was anointed the king of Israel, the new king, because Saul was rejected. Saul, in his disobedience to the Lord, desiring to to be seen in front of people, became prideful, uh, was non-repentive to his sin of, of disobedience to the Lord. He was making monuments to himself when it was Samuel the prophet that in chapter 15 said that Saul, the kingdom has been taken from you and given to another man after God's own heart. We see that it was Saul that said, don't do this and, and bless me before the people. So Saul was one that was really focused on himself. And it would be in chapter 16 that David would be anointed the king as it was Samuel that came to the house of Jesse and all the brothers of David passed before Samuel, but then it was David that was brought in from the fields, that shepherd boy, very very young at that time, just a, a young teenager. He was anointed as the king, but we know that David didn't ascend to the throne right away. And keep in mind that at this time in chapter 26, 
that Saul has been pursuing David for a number of years now. This is a very difficult season in David's life. This is a, a, a large chunk of, of time that has been taken out of David's life with Saul pursuing him in the wilderness. And so there are the scholars that believe that Saul pursued David in the wilderness for about 12 years. So about 10 years at this time in, in chapter 26 that, that Saul has been going after David relentlessly. And we have seen it all was because of envy and bitterness that Saul had towards David. When Saul had that distressing spirit that came upon him, David was called upon to come and minister to Saul. And we see at the end of chapter 16 that Saul loved David, that he made David his armor bearer. And then in chapter 17, we got that famed story of David slewing Goliath, as it was Goliath that was stomping up and down the valley of Elah there, issuing that challenge to the armies of Israel. And David coming from Bethlehem up to see his brothers. Again, David was just young. He was still too young to be in the army. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile you know, the armies of the living God? And he took on Goliath. His confidence was in the Lord. And of course, Goliath went down as David used his sling and a rock to defeat Goliath. And at that time, David was known throughout the land of Israel as a great warrior. And it was David that would then be taken to Saul's palace minister to Saul. He would fight on behalf of Saul in the armies of Israel. He would rout the Philistines. But when David was coming back from the victory of defeating the Philistines, songs were being sung about David. It was the women that would come out of the cities saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And it was Saul that heard that. And Saul was very bitter towards David. And he was thinking, you know, is David just going to take the kingdom? And he was full of envy and jealousy. And I think one of the things that we see very clearly as we go through 1 Samuel, in the life of this man Saul, is what happens when we have bitterness and envy and jealousy that begins to creep into our hearts and it begins to grow because that's what it did with Saul. And Saul now, he has made very irrational decisions. Some of his decisions have been very violent. He is one that is uh, going to, at no expense or cost, going to get David if he can. He's neglected his responsibilities to Judah and, and keeping Judah safe from the Philistines because all he can think about is, I got to kill David. And it's all because of his jealousy and envy, all because of his anger, all because it has grown to where Saul is out of control. And we see that Saul here in pursuing David is doing it year after year after year. Now we're going to see in the next chapter, chapter 27, that David's going to flee to the territory of the Philistines and stay there for 16 months. And then Saul's going to be killed in battle to where David is able to go back and begin to take you know, his position as king of Israel. But we'll get to that later. But I just want to encourage you who might be here tonight, that maybe you've been going through a difficult time. Maybe it's somebody that's been, you know, nasty to you or coming down on you or perhaps you feel like they've been pursuing you, just making your life miserable. And it hasn't been a couple weeks or a couple months. It's been a while. And you're trying to do what is right. 
And you keep doing what is right because we are seeing that God is being faithful to David. And one of the things that encourages me too, as I look at David's life here, in one chapter you see that David has this spiritual victory. He doesn't kill Saul as, as we saw there in um, chapter 24. He spared Saul his life. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And then as we saw last week in chapter 25, David, he has these failings, these shortcomings. He gets angry at Nabal as Nabal would insult Saul or David and his men. And it was Nabal, his name means fool, that David, when he was in the strongholds of the wilderness, protected Nabal's sheep and his servants. And David wanted a favor. Hey, can you perhaps give a couple of your sheep to help feed my men? And it was Nabal that insulted David. said, you're just basically said, you're a rebellious slave. You're a bum. Who are you? Why should I help you? And David got angry, didn't he, we saw. And he girded up his sword. He, he put on his sword and told 400 men, you're coming with me. We're going to go after Nabal. And it was Abigail that came and spoke words of wisdom to him and said, David, you know what? My husband is a fool. But David, you're going to be the king. And God's going to protect you. And so David would relent from his anger because David was one, even though he fell short, he was sensitive to the Lord, and he had a heart after God. And we're going to see in chapter 26 that David, once again, is just going to have this spiritual victory, it seems like, as he has opportunity to kill Saul once again. But he is sensitive to leading the Lord, and then in chapter 27, he's going to head to the enemy's territory. You know, one of the things that I see also going through this book is just the mercy and the grace of our Lord. Because I don't know about you, I'll speak for myself. There are times where I feel like I, I go through, I face a circumstance perhaps, or go through a, a certain season where I'm, you know, feel strong in the Lord and, and close to the Lord and I'm watching Him work and being sensitive to His leading and all of a sudden, you know, a circumstance might come up where all of a sudden my flesh wears its ugly head and I get angry and I come up short and, and I fail. And I'm so thankful that the Lord isn't through with me. That he doesn't just give up on me. And David here is known as a man after God's own heart. And he received forgiveness. But David is growing and we're all growing. And there are those times where we do fall short. Those times where that we fail. And, and David certainly, he's going to compromise as we're going to see in the next chapter. And I am so thankful for the forgiveness of the Lord that when we do sin, that we have an advocate that is Jesus Christ the righteous, that we can go to him and confess our sins and is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we can move forward. We can put those things under the blood of Jesus Christ. So here in chapter 26, we see the Sephites. They were the ones that tried to rat out David in chapter 23. They are the ones that dwell in the wilderness of Seth. They know all the hiding places. They know where David would be, perhaps, and they're siding with Saul. And they come and tell Saul, David is there hiding in that wilderness. And so here they are once again uh, turning against David. And so David is one that's there in the hillsides, there in the mountains. And it is Saul that comes along with 3,000 of his men. They're by the side of the road. And David, 
He's up there in the wilderness. In verse 4, therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. And then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and Abish Ai, the, the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in a camp? And Abish Ai said, I will go down with you. So David, verse 7, and Abish Ai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with the spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. And then Abish Ai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. So David has opportunity to do Saul in for the second time. And you recall that it was the first time, just a couple chapters ago in chapter 24, that it was Saul pursuing David and his 3,000 men that Saul had with him. And David and his men are at En Gedi. They're in the recesses of a cave. And all of a sudden, Saul comes walking into the cave. They take care of business. He doesn't know that David is and his men are there in the cave, hangs up his robe, and all of a sudden, the men are in the back of the cave going, Saul's just walked into this cave. And the Lord has delivered Saul into your hands, David. Go and lop his head off. And it seemed like externally the outward circumstances seemed to be that, yes, the Lord had delivered Saul into the hand of David. And David, he had every right to defend himself. It was Saul that had thrown a spear at him three times and tried to kill David. And he missed. It was Saul that pursued David and coming after him. And finally, he fell into the cave of where David was. And David went over as Saul had hung up his robe and then went to, to take care of his needs. And David came over and cut the corner of his robe. And when he did that, he was troubled in his heart. And you see, we talked about that was the key for David. He didn't have a peace about killing Saul and doing him in. And it was David that would then go out of the cave and he would speak down to Saul and said, Saul, I had a chance to, to kill you, but I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And it's a real key for you and for me that when we are faced with circumstances or a situation where it seems like outwardly and in our own understanding, this is what we should do, but we still have to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. Because maybe in your own life, there's been somebody that's been throwing spears at you. Not literally, but maybe with words that they've been speaking. Or maybe they've been, you know, kind of mean to you or difficult with you. And the Lord is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to turn the other cheek. And when Jesus said that, turn the other cheek, he what that is in that culture, it was a slap. It was an insult, it was what it was. And Jesus, we know that when he went to the cross at Calvary, he literally turned the other cheek. As they pulled out his beard. As they insulted him and mocked him. It is Jesus that says to you and me as a Christian that if somebody tells you to go mile with him, a Roman soldier, he had the right to put his tip of his spear on your shoulder, and that meant you had to carry his gear for a mile. And Jesus says, you take it two miles. And perhaps in the situation that you're in, and in relationships that you have, that the Lord might be saying to you, perhaps, 
that you turn the other cheek. I want you to go the extra mile. When it comes with the opportunity, perhaps, to win them for Christ and to minister to them truth, that the Lord perhaps would have us to do that. So here is David. He was troubled in his heart. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He told his men, I'm not going to, to kill Saul. I'm going to let the Lord deal with it. And the Lord judged between me and Saul because the Lord put Saul on the throne, put him as king, and the Lord is going to be the one that's going to take him out. So David has this great victory there. And then all of a sudden, of course, as we talked about, the next chapter, he reacts out of the flesh and uh, towards Nabal. Here we see once again that his, his man and his nephew here, Abish Ai, is actually David's nephew. We know that from First Chronicles chapter 2 because David, he had brothers, but also as we look at the genealogy from Judah to David, there in that chapter of First Chronicles chapter 2, we see that David had two sisters as well. One of them's name here, Zeruiah, and she had a son that is Abishai. So this is David's nephew. We also know that David had another sister. Her name was Abigail. Not the Abigail of the, the previous chapter. So David has a sister, Abigail, and he also has a wife that is Abigail, that name as well. So it was a popular name. So Abishai says, you know what? Um, here is an opportunity to get da Saul once again. And, and here's Abishai, he's chomping at the bits. He's saying, let me take care of this, David. All I need is one chance. All I need is, is one blow. I don't need a second one. And we see that it is David that once again does not desire to be vengeful. And when we have those times where we're faced with decisions, are we going to go the extra mile? Lord, do you want, what do you want me to do? that we should desire to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. That's really where David had victory. Because the Lord honored that. And the Lord blesses David for that. But I want to notice something here. Notice here that as David's looking at Saul, you go back to verse 5, as, as Saul is in that camp, there is Abner, the commander of his army, and it was um, there Saul, in verse 7, sleeping in the camp. His spear stuck to the ground, and Abner and the people lay all around him. It took real boldness, didn't encourage, for David and Abishai to sneak down into the camp, and they're going to grab his spear, and they're going to grab the jug of water that's next to his head. We know that God would cause these guys to fall into a deep sleep, but it took real courage and a step of faith, and, and moving out in boldness. Now, sometimes in our lives individually, when it comes to our families, when it comes to this church family, this congregation, I think that sometimes the Lord calls us to step out in boldness and encourage, doesn't he? I think that if you're really desiring to live for the Lord in the days in which we're living in, that it takes true courage to do that. And it takes a lot of boldness. It takes boldness and courage to witness to the people at work that we work alongside of or our neighbors or other family members or perhaps those we go to school with or those that, that are linked to us somehow, whatever, in our lives. And maybe we're thinking, oh, man, if I, I seem like I'm having to tiptoe around them all the time. But the Lord is saying, I want you to be bold. I want you to be courageous. I want you to to witness to that boss, that supervisor. I want you to witness to that neighbor that's difficult. I want you to share truth, bring correction perhaps to that person who's struggling. 
And as a Christian, there are times that it takes real boldness and courage to move out in the way that God is calling you to as he's pressing that on your heart. And I think as a church as well. I think in the time that we see the way that the church at large and as a whole is going, that it's going to take real boldness and it's going to take real courage for Calvary Chapel Greeley to stay faithful to the Word of God and to stay faithful to teaching the Word and standing on the promises of God and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. It is going to take courage and it's going to take boldness for us to do that as a church. And that's what I pray for us, that we would. That we would stand fast in the faith. That we would say, Lord, that you help us to be strong and of good courage in the day in which we're living in. Because the church is being called to compromise. The church is being called to forsake truth. The church is being called to, to not proclaim Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. The church is being called into things that we're not supposed to be about. And I think as we get closer to the return of the Lord, it's going to take real boldness and courage for us to stand on the things of God and the truth of God. So here they are, they go sneaking into the camp. In verse 9, David said to Abiashah, I do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. David, you see, is trusting the Lord. God's going to take care of it. The Lord will strike him. God's big enough to do that, or he'll perish out of battle, which is going to happen to Saul eventually here in a few chapters. So David is having faith. And keep that in mind to when we go into chapter 27 here in just a little bit. I'm trusting in God. I am not going to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I am not going to be vengeful because the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because of a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on top of the hill afar off a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner the son of Ner saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? And David said to Abner in verse 15, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. And this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in a jug of water that was by his head. So it's interesting that David, that he and Abishai, they take the jug of water, take the spear, they tiptoe out. There's 3,000 men that are here. So this is in a little campground here. This is a lot of guys and they all have a deep sleep on them. He goes up on the hillside and when the time comes when they begin to wake up, David calls down and he begins to, first of all, to address Abner, that is the commander of Saul's army. And he begins to rebuke him very strongly. And the implication that David said that, Abner, aren't you a man? Weren't you supposed to protect Saul? It's almost like the implication is, is that David cared more for Saul's life than Abner did. Abner, this is not good because you were sleeping on the job and here the jug by Saul's head and his spear are right here with us. 
We could have done him in. And so here is David rebuking Abner because he was sleeping on the job. And we see throughout the scriptures, through the whole of scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament, over and over again as a Christian, that we are told that we are to be what? Watchful. And the warning against being, you know, sleepy spiritually, being apathetic, carefree, being lazy, those exhortations are found all throughout the scriptures. And we are told that we are to be sober and vigilant, that we are to be awake, arise out of your sleep, is what the scripture says. And especially in the day in which we're living in, this is not a time to be sleepy spiritually or to be lethargic or lazy spiritually. We are to be watchful. And of course, Jesus himself said that you're to be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return because I come at a time that you do not expect. Be watchful. It is Paul that was writing to the church at Thessalonica, and I love what he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet of hope of salvation. So Paul was exhorting them as he's talking about the day of the Lord. Listen, you're children of the day, not of night. And those of the night, they're the ones that are sleeping they're the ones that are drunk. You're children of the day. You're to be sober. You're to be vigilant. It is Peter that told us that you be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I just can't emphasize enough the importance that, that we individually and, and we who shepherd our families and as a church that we need to be watchful and sober and vigilant, but don't go to sleep. Because this really could have cost Saul. Now I know that David is the good guy here. But the thing is, that if you go to sleep, and the people around you, if this church goes to sleep, then the implications can be very serious. Because the enemy is looking for us to be asleep. And the enemy is looking to pounce on us and get a foothold into our lives. And when we become sleepy and we're not watchful, then there can be serious implications that can happen to us in our lives. It was Jesus that was warning the church, one of the churches in Revelation chapter 3, Sardis, I believe. He said, therefore, and watch. And as you look at the history of that city, it was a city that, that was overtaken at one time in their history because their watchmen weren't watching. And they ended up being attacked and falling. When Jesus said that to that church, they knew exactly what it was that Jesus was saying to them. And of course, the Old Testament says that we're like to be the watchman that is on the wall. We are to be ones that are watching out, giving warning. We are to make sure that we are looking to make sure that the enemy isn't coming close. And, and we need to make sure that we're doing that. But don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Don't be like the people of Sardis. Don't, don't be like people of the night. But make sure that you and I are awake, especially in the days in which we're living. And so much is happening, isn't it? I mean, you think just this year, all the things that are going on in earthquakes and tsunamis and the tornadoes and 
the political upheaval and unrest in the Middle East, just as Jesus said, these are signs, these are birth pangs. Be watchful and look up because when you begin to see these things come to pass, rejoice because your redemption draws very, very near. And so especially in what we are seeing and the events taking place, we are in very perilous times. We are very, very um, exciting times as a Christian knowing that the return of our Lord is very, very nigh. I don't want to go to sleep. I don't want to give the enemy a foothold. I want to warn my family of the darkness that's all around us. So be awake and, and make sure that you're watching and being vigilant. And so David continues to, to just speak to Saul saying, you know what, um, Abner, first of all, I need to address you. And then verse 17, Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And so he begins to address Saul now. And he says, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Have you noticed going through these chapters that every time that David asked Saul, What have I done? We see that it was Jonathan that confronted his father, Saul. What has David done to, to you? Why do you seek to kill him? He's acted righteously towards you. He's been a blessing to the nation. He saved us from Goliath, and you rejoice in that. So, Dad, why are you pursuing David? And it was Saul that would seem to be sorrowful, and okay, I know I've done wrong, and, and I won't go after David, but he wasn't repentive, truly repentive, because he'd go after David again. And David in chapter 24 is asking Saul, what have I done wrong? Chapter 26, what have I done against you? Notice that Saul didn't answer him. He didn't have an accusation against David. He didn't say, well, this is what you did. He begins to seem like he's remorseful, and, and, and I think that's what he is, but he's not truly repentive, as we see in verse 19. Now, therefore, as David continues to speak to Saul, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. In other words, is it just people getting you all riled up against me? May they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. David is saying that, that this has been going on. You've been pursuing me, Saul, to where I don't have an inheritance anymore. My family's over in Moab, my parents. I can't go home to my wife, Micah. I don't have a home at all. We're having to hide out here in the caves of the wilderness. You've taken away my inheritance. I have no other place to go. I may have to go to the place where they serve other gods. And I think that David perhaps already has in mind in going to Philistine territory. He goes on, verse 20, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountain. Kind of interesting what David says here. And I thought, what does that mean? That as one that hunts a partridge in the mountains. Well, Back in those days, and the birds, when they go bird hunting, they didn't have shotguns. You know, you flush a bird out, and you're able to, you know, to shoot the bird. So what they would do, the partridge, if they hunted them, is they would make the partridge fly and walk and run. They didn't fly very long distances, and you would just pursue that bird to where it was so tired that it couldn't fly anymore. It was so weary from you pursuing it that then you can knock it down with a rock or with a sling if you were good, or you could hit it with a club. And David is saying, that's what you've done with me, Saul. You've been pursuing me in that way. And you can tell that David is tired here. 
And of course he is. Ten years that he hasn't had a home, that he's been pursued by Saul, that he's almost been caught, all the stress, everything. 600 men that are under him, the responsibilities. I don't have an inheritance anymore. Verse 21, Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. He confesses, I've sinned, but he wasn't truly repentant because he said this before. But his heart was full of malice and envy and jealousy. And I know that you know this because I've said it many times, but I'm going to continue to say this. What is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And he was not one, Saul, that was trusting in the Lord, relying on the Lord, looking to the Lord, repentive towards the Lord. He knew that there was, I think, some guilt and perhaps a little bit of shame, but he was not going to do anything about it because true repentance is not just feeling sorry, but there's action involved in it. I'm going to turn directions. And I think that if Saul would have repented, that the Lord would have accepted that repentance, true repentance, but he didn't. And we see that he realizes that, David, you saw that my life was precious. I played the fool and erred exceedingly. And here's the thing, that Saul did play the fool. He played the fool. And any time that we are moving in a direction where it's not pleasing to the God, we're going to make foolish decisions. We're going to end up playing the fool. And we're going to end up erring exceedingly. And that's why it's very important that we know the ways of the Lord, be submitted to the Lord and say, Lord, that I am going to be one, I want to do what is right in your sight. And that means having a heart for the Lord. So we see that David answered and, and said, here's the king's spear, let one of the young men come over and get it. Personally, I probably would have broken the spear in pieces. And I don't know why David gave it back, but he did. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord deliver you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Interesting here that as David continues to say, May the Lord just repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Listen, when you find yourself where you are in difficult circumstances and you say, Lord, I want to do what is right, I am going to do what is right. And as you do that, he is going to bless you. As you do what is right, pursuing righteousness and faithfulness, that is, that you're trusting the Lord that you're going to take care of this. I'm not going to react out of the flesh. I'm not going to react out of anger. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. But I'm going to see what it is, Lord, that your word has to say. And I'm going to follow after that. And I'm going to trust in you. And it's very important that when we face difficult circumstances or important decisions that we have to make, that, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What does your word have to say? How can I honor you in this situation? And as you have that heart and as you move out in wisdom and what is doing right before the Lord, he's going to honor that. So David recognizes that. And interesting that, that it was... 
you know, um, David that said that I valued your life in my eyes. And then he says in verse 24, so let my life be valued in your eyes, Saul. That's the least you can do for me. You know, I kind of cut you slack here the last couple times. Why don't you value me? No, he's trusting in the Lord. He says, may my life be valued in the eyes of the Lord because I think David has settled in. My life isn't valued to Saul. He's going to keep pursuing me. He doesn't really, I've heard this before. There's not true repentance. May the Lord value my life because he'll take care of me and deliver me out of all tribulation. The Lord values you as his child so much. Do you know that? That Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in the field and he gave all that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out. And that man represents in that parable in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus. And Jesus, he redeemed the world to himself, the field. The field represents the world. So he could have the treasure, you. That's how valuable you are to him. And never forget that that you are so precious and valuable to the Lord that he sent his son to die for you. On Calvary's cross, Jesus went willingly and gave all that he had, not so he can redeem the world to have another planet, so he can have to treasure you. So remember how much the Lord loves you, how valuable you are to him. So valued that it, he went and died on Calvary's cross for you. And that's what we're going to remember as we here come to the communion table in just a few minutes. So we see that Saul would return to his place. David has a little bit of, of you know, um, time to where Saul is, is not pursuing him. But chapter 27, and David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. David knows that he can't take Saul's word, that he won't pursue him any longer. So in this difficult place of waiting, he goes to the area of the Philistines once again. We saw that he did that in chapter 21, you remember? But I want us to notice something here. It is David as chapter 27 begins, that said in his heart. There's no record of David seeking the Lord of this. He said in his heart, you know what, Saul's going to keep coming after me. I better go to the area of the Philistines because Saul's not going to come over to that area of the Philistines to pursue me. At least at least, there's going to be a, a, a temporary, immediate goal of rest from Saul but you see, David is compromising here because he's going to put himself under the authority of a pagan king submitting to a Philistine master. And I don't quite understand this relationship that he has with Achish, who's the king of Gath. David killed Goliath, remember, in chapter 17. Goliath was from Gath. And in chapter 21, David goes to the Philistine area to get away from Saul. And there's Achish that sees David as he pretended David did to be insane, and Achish says, get rid of him. He didn't throw David in prison, didn't chain him up, didn't do him in, but let David go. And so David's back here. And I don't quite understand, you know, why Achish, you know, receives David, lets him come into, you know, his presence, into his city Gath, except for one reason, and that is they share the same enemy, Saul. But we're going to see that the decision that David made in his heart 
is affecting his 600 men, his wives, those 600 men's families as well. And you see, guys, parents, any of us that are any kind of authority, when we start making decisions in our own heart, our own understanding that are contrary to what God wants us to do, instead of leading on his understanding and what he's placed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit in that still small voice and according to his word, then it's going to affect a whole lot of people around us. It affects a whole lot of people around us. David is discouraged at this time. And you can understand how David is discouraged and he's tired. And it is in those times when you are tired physically, emotionally, spiritually that you've got to be careful and you just don't do things in your own understanding and start saying in my heart, well, God obviously isn't working for me, so i got to make something happen. i got to go in this direction. This seems like this is what i got to do. And we're not searching the Lord. It is Jesus that said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Will you remember that? When you are tired, go to him, especially when you're tired. He says, come to me, Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me. You'll have rest for your souls. So it's real important that we do that in those times. So here David, he, he's going to Philistine territory. David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoham, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, and Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So Saul's not going to go to the area of the Philistines. So he received his and, and got his immediate goal of getting rest from Saul, but there's going to be more problems that are going to come up. Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziglag that day, therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So David has his relationship with Achish. He's being deceiving. He has the 600 men. Somehow he gets Achish, the king of Gath, to, to think these 600 men with David are going to benefit me against Saul in Israel. So David says, give me Ziglag. And he's there for 16 months. As verse 7, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Gershaites and the and the uh, uh, Gerzites and the uh, Malachites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah and against the southern area of the Jerha Alites, or against the southern area, the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. David here is being deceitful. He makes these raids against the the 
the Gershonites and the Malachites, and he would destroy everyone so no one would come along and say, oh, David is doing this. He didn't want to leave any witnesses. He's covering it all up. And then he would lie to Achish. Oh, I've made raids against Judah. This is not a good time for David. Do you realize that during these 16 months, there is not one psalm during this time that David wrote? And something else that I think. That we all know the story of David sinning with Bathsheba, right? And what did David try to do when it was found out as Bathsheba became pregnant? And, and what did he do? He tried to cover it up, didn't he? He tried to be deceitful. He brought in Bathsheba's husband Uriah, who was a man of godly character and integrity, one of David's mighty men. And David, through his deception, had Uriah killed. He covered it up. And it goes back to this chapter where I see that David tried to cover this up. It's not a good place where David is at. What my prayer is we get ready to come to the communion table. If there's anything going on in your life that you're trying to cover it up and be deceptive, confess it because the Lord sees it. And the scripture says that your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. So give it to the Lord. Confess it. Receive his mercy and his grace. Don't try to cover things up because you can't. You can't hide it from the Lord. And that's what David is doing here. And he's in an area of compromise. And do that. And as we come to the communion table, to come with just awe and reverence of, Lord, I can trust you with my life because I trust you with my salvation. And you value me and you love me. And you went to Calvary's cross for me. And as we hold these elements in our hands, remembering, Jesus, you shed your blood for forgiveness of sin. And you allowed your body to be beaten and broken for me. The Lord loves you. Don't live in that time or that place of compromise and cover-up. But Lord, I want to do what is righteous and be faithful to you because I know that you will repay and you will bless. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you so much for these chapters that as we look at the life of David, we can learn those things that are beneficial to us and good and spiritual, and then we also learn what not to do. And Father, I pray tonight as we come, if we've heard this lesson, that, that first of all, that we would have a desire to look to you. And in those times, particularly when we're tired and weary spiritually, that you would just bless and that you would speak to our hearts and that we would have a desire to do what is right. Even in those times where we don't understand. We're not to lean on our own understanding, as your word says, but acknowledge you and you will direct our paths as we trust in you. And Lord, to seek you and to hear your voice. And I pray that tonight, before any of us come to the communion table, if there's any area of compromise, any area of deceit, that right now there would be true repentance going on in your heart that you would confess it and say, Lord, I've been compromising, I've been covering this up, I've been, Lord, deceitful in this area. This area of my life has been a lie. And Lord, I confess it and it is wrong. And I repent from it. And I turn to you. Lord, help me. 
Help me to do what is right, to trust in you and be submitted to you fully. And Father, I pray for all of us that as we come to the table now, that, Lord, that we would just again be just at awe on what your Son has done for us. And Jesus said to take this, this bread, take and, and eat. This is my body broken for you. And take of, of the cup and drink because this is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for forgiveness of sin. And do this often in remembrance of me. And we come as we remember the sacrificial price that Jesus paid for us that we may have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin. And Lord, that we can cry out to you and receive your mercy and grace. So Father, bless this time as we open the communion tables, we all come up.